The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back with you, it's Wednesday. Hail Varsity Radio, we're presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark is, well, yeah, we, we, we did lock the door, locked in uh, the studio. You can find us today as we are streaming live on the Hail Varsity YouTube channel. Also, the Hail Varsity Radio Twitter handle at HVarsity Radio, Facebook at ESPN Lincoln. And uh, the ESPN Lincoln Twitter. Numbers to get in, 466 8255 can send an email, chris at com, and give us a find on Twitter at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal and uh, Connor Clark. Get the uh, pencil ready at C underscore Clark underscore... Twenty-seven. I have what? a feeling Bill's just been feeding you jokes. When no, I this no, no. I mean, I just got a, I got a hunch, but that's just me. No, no, uh, no joke feeding. Uh, no, no, not at all. But uh, a lot to get to today. We'll hear from. Well, the thing is, kind of the jokes write themselves. That's the problem. They they happen to, and 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 I'm I'm here to to do all of that to just write plenty of jokes. So. We'll dive in. Uh, Trev Alberts, his reaction. It is portal season for Nebraska. Coach Rule on the uh, road. Cue up Willie Nelson. He's back in his uh, Pennsylvania stomping grounds. Where can Nebraska go shopping? And and I think uh, we'll spend some time with Mike Babcock, the 100th anniversary of Memorial Stadium, which is incredible, but also uh, focus in on a little more football. In hour two, uh, we'll spend time with Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald. So, hour one is going to be Mike Babcock, Mike Shuhart with us from Wilderness Ridge, and then uh, we'll spend time with Evan in the next hour. So, we'll we'll get to to Trev. We'll get to some of the recruiting that's ongoing. Excited uh, about uh, Gage Ginther uh, getting reoffered by the Nebraska staff. Uh, I know the uh, Huskers are. are out that direction uh, the other day anyway, and uh, that's big. It's going to be a, a race for Nebraska, uh, I would think, for Ginther's services at tackle for this upcoming class. Uh, I think he's uh, you know, one of the, the best there is in the Colorado area. You have Malachi Coleman. Don't know if he's put on snowshoes or he's got a <laughs> team of Huskies or what, but he was looking at Boulder uh, this weekend. We'll see. Roads aren't open. Maybe Dion will throw him the, uh, the private jet to get over. No, you got to go. Well, I don't know. How, how important is recruiting? 50 mile per hour winds 
and a thousand feet of snow. So I don't even know that you go helicopter. Dion sends the dog sled to Lincoln. Go pick up Malachi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Here, here's a parka. <laughs> it says buffs on it. But I want to start, and, and not to overdose you with Coach Leach stuff, we, we had a wonderful tribute to a guy we really love yesterday, and we're so thankful that uh, he was part of our lives uh, just with the, the, the radio side and getting to to talk to him as much as we did. But I, I want to focus in on one of the stories that, that's out uh, about uh, being recruited. I've got a couple. A uh, friend of the show is Blake Lawrence. Another friend of the show, Jeremiah Searles. And, and each have their own unique recruiting story. And so I, and, and Blake put this out on Twitter, okay? So maybe you've read it, maybe you've seen it. But, but Blake as good of a linebacker as he was before injuries took him away from the game. He just went and started really awesome businesses. So it started printing money. Yeah. Uh, Blake also uh, was, you know, smart enough to go to Stanford, right? Just brilliant. Really, really smart. So Blake starts off his email. I was one of the top prospects in 07 uh, recruiting <laughs> linebacker, right? And, uh, he had a short list of places he wanted to visit in 06. He had a couple of calls with Coach Leach. They were quick and quirky, and that's news that they were quick, but they they were probably definitely quirky. So he got a tour of the tech facilities. Uh, he had time to meet the coach. Uh, he was ushered into this expansive office with a big desk towards the back wall. Coach Leach sat there with his hands flat on top of the desk above him, was a bicycle hanging from the ceiling. Did you guys in your garages have that, that that bike rack, either the the two hooks for each, you know, for the tires or just the one? I remember my dad putting them in. Like every house growing up had the bike rack you'd hang them, except ours because I'm uh, mechanically idiotic. I don't know how to drill, let alone hang a, a hook. So Junior would just park his bike and. Once in a while, I'd, I'd hit it. See, growing up, no. I think you overestimate how active my family was growing up, especially with things such as biking. Like, that was that was not no, a herbal but, but family it, thing. But, I, I know what you're talking about. My I'm roommate. right there with you. Don't worry. <laughs> my, my roommate has got that set up in our garage right now where he's got it. It's actually half-constructed. He got halfway through deconstructing and rebuilding a bike and then gave up on it. So we have a half-constructed bike hanging on those, sitting uh, those there racks on the in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we, would, we did a few family bike rides, but... <laughs> Let's just say I, I wasn't I wasn't a fun bike ride participant, the fat asthmatic with the rest of the family <laughs> just trucking along. Yep. <laughs> Come yep. on. So there we go. Anywho, moving forward. I will say though, my, my brother and I did have a, a tandem bike towards the end of our high school career that we would ride around and we'd get some oh funny boy. looks in the tandem bike. That was a lot more fun. Worse than the scooter? Uh down in Norman. Mm, it was about it was about right there. Same you, like, there, there's two guys on a tandem there's, bike. There's two guys on a tandem bike. <laughs> one's wearing bike shorts. One's uh, probably got corduroy shorts, and and you're both <laughs> both trying to grow mustaches. And your brother probably had that corn cob pipe. Yeah, and we're, we're both large individuals trying to get around <laughs> us on this tandem bike. So it was a top heavy tandem bike that we're struggling to control. That's, that that was that was more fun than any biking adventure we had as uh, so as children. <laughs> Blake Blake goes on with that bike. 
And uh, Blake kind of approaches the desk. Uh, Coach Leach didn't stand, didn't even speak. He gestured with an open seat, sit down, took my seat, and just silence. And, and, and Blake's like, hey, Coach, quiet. So you ride your bike? I was pointing at the ceiling. Ride my bike? That's <laughs> what the pirate responded, looking confused. There's a bike on your ceiling. Coach slowly tilted his head back, squinting at the object hanging two feet above his head. Oh, that? No. Don't ride it. I just think it looks cool. You want to see me do a magic trick? (laughs) So the magic trick proceeded. Uh, Yeah. uh, Blake are... Okay. Yes, a magic trick. But you, Blake, are the magician. If you get it right, you have to commit to Texas Tech. Think of all the, the different ploys and methods of getting a yes. That is a pitch right Thro- there. Through the history of college football. And and you're choosing your own adventure here. And if you're right, you have to commit to Texas Tech. And Blake in this text thread, Blake Lawrence, his recruiting trip to Texas Tech with Mike Leach, you probably won't get this right. Okay, deal. I accepted the challenge and awaited instructions as Leach shuffled a deck of cards. You say red, and I put a card on, in this pile. He pointed to an open slot on his desk. You say black, and I put a card in this pile. He said red, and he placed the first card. Black, red, 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 black. So it continued through all 52 cards until they were gone. Now, Blake, if you're a real magician, then all of these piles should be red and this pile should be black. Yep. And, and Blake's like, there's no way. There's no mathematical way that, it, that I could have done this right. Uh, Leach flipped over the first pile. All the cards were red. He flipped over the second pile, and all the cards were black. His, and Blake's jaw dropped. How in the world did you do that? I looked up. We locked eyes. And Leach said, you ready to be a Red Raider? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I thought that was pretty good. And, and Blake's like, I didn't commit on the spot, but Coach had me hooked on the idea of playing for him. Always f- felt like he was an old friend, <laughs> a goof. And uh, when, when Blake committed to Nebraska, Leach sent him a congratulations. That's different. I don't think either of you were here for Searle's recruiting story, or were you? Well, didn't he also talk about the bike on the ceiling? He he might have. I think he did. Searles is is slammed right now with you know work work, but Searles relayed the the reality of the uh, the uh, the Red Raider plague. Did you hear this? It rings a bell. You have to, you have to lay it out for me. So Searles is in Leach's office. I do remember this. Right, <laughs> right. It was during the summertime. Uh huh. And Leach is like, you have a good time? Sure. You know, and, and Leach has put some guys into the NFL, especially on the offensive line. And, and Leach is, <clears throat> did you have any company last night? You know, and I think Searles' folks were in there or somebody. It was, you know, and it was a question about, did you have a, you know, a recruiting host or hostess? And, you know, Searles like, no, we just kind of hung out and talked. This offensive lineman just kind of hung out and talked. Oh, good. Because, uh, you know, there's a case of the Red Raider virus going around. I guess it's like some brutal STD <laughs> 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 that was 
that was pretty prevalent uh, down in Lubbock. <laughs> it's called the Red Raider Plague. <laughs> that sounds like a Claus joke. That's oh, what that sounds no, like. I know it does a little bit. If I, remember, if I remember correctly, I think I was in for this day. I think it was herpes, but yeah, could, well, could be wrong. Yeah. The name keep, checks out. Keep, keep, yeah, the Red Raider. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The plague. Uh, yeah. So let's uh, get caught up a little bit here. We'll have a little bit more of what Trev had to say uh, with uh, his sit-down last night on the network, the Trev Alberts show. And let's uh, hit cut one here, fellas. And uh, you have Trev diving in to you know getting coach rule to lincoln i know it's been a while or it feels forever for uh, ago like the hire but uh, the process of, of making that happen trev alberts last night well I, I kind of took this approach a little bit like um you know the recruiting process of, of student athletes and you know when you think about official visits uh, generally, if you can be either the first official visit or the last, you got the best chance of getting them to commit. And so I wanted to be the first. And so as quickly as we could, I also knew that there was a family and vacation involved with Matt and Julie, and they were going to go out of the country. And uh, so I wanted to get him here to Lincoln because I've always believed, and I continue to believe, uh, that whether it's a student athlete, prospective student athlete, or a coach or a staff, if we want to acquire great talent here, um, it's wonderful to look at pictures. It's wonderful to do things via Zoom. But if you get them here, um, people are blown away by our state. So, and, and listen, that is it. And you can, you can go through the last 20 years. You can go through the last 40 years. But specifically, if you look at it the last 25 years and, and think about what's gone on in, in my era – and we'll get into you know Memorial Stadium a hundred years with Babbers coming up. In my era, you had to to army crawl through a bunch of turnstiles, and then all of a sudden you emerged at the West Balcony, and it was the old press box. Never ever went into the old press box, but the West Balcony, it was so old school throwback. It was so cool. It was all obviously concrete, but it had these, I think, bomb proof railings, like they they just couldn't be defeated and you're holding on to them and that thing was built to last grateful dead title babbers and then all of a sudden you get into when i'm about to graduate college where they're doing the facelift on the west and then they do all the work on the east side of the stadium and now you're gonna have suites in the east side and you got to do something about the south the north has some suites and a lot of folks have their their seats. North Stadium, beautiful setup, but you know, if if you guys were both pulling a George Costanza here in Vandalay Industries, were you more apt to put like okay, more cushioned, comfy chairs? Do you want a party deck or standing room only section? Because you see those type of setups now. You have more stadiums that have party decks. I'm just throwing this out there. You guys, I mean, you got a couple of years left. You're a you're a normal broadcast student, both of you. So you get out in four. Most of us take a while. <laughs> well, I think um, I like the you know kind of old school charm of the place mm-hmm. with a lot of the you know benches because that's what like that's that's a college football stadium, right? Like you get to the big comfy chairs in the NFL, and you know that's a whole different thing. And I like that 
you know, charm, I guess. You stand still, though, don't you? Yeah. When you're not doing games? Yeah. Both of you? You kept the tradition going, standing yes, during absolutely. the games? Sure, yeah. So you've not uh, been frozen to the wooden benches before then, have Correct. you? Correct. No. Not yet. Because you've both been standing. Yes. <laughs> Or in the press box. I, I would know. add, I think, a, a necessary improvement, which I don't think is going to happen, but I'm going to throw it out there. I think they need to bring the student section together into one bigger student section. To, it, it's got to be an end zone atmosphere. spot, though. Yes. Yeah, and I, people say, oh, let's get them close to the field. Don't put them in a corner, but I think bring those two halves of the student section together. You, you guys go to the corner. Exactly. Like it, it, it feels like you're like, well, we don't care about the students at all. We're just going to put them in the corner where the cheap seats are. They're a big part of the the environment at Memorial Stadium, especially whenever you look around the stadium and see the age range of the type of people who are still have their season tickets. No offense to those people. They're not the types to be standing all game Subtle and, and being age loud. range jab. The, the student section brings a lot in terms of environment. So oh, I, it brings I think the juice. It. it brings the juice. All right, Mike Babcock going to join us at Hale Varsity on a Wednesday presented by Currency. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for spending time at Hale Varsity. We are presented by your friends at Currency. Came to me. Coffee, yes. Mike Babcock with us. HaleVarsity.com magazine. Historian, author, Hall of Famer at MD Babs on Twitter. Babbers, what do you know? How's your week going? Is this mustache time again? We're, we're getting there. It, it was going to be a new year, new mustache for Elijah. And then I was sitting there thinking, and I'm like, well, it's been a lot of months this year for Elijah with a mustache. And probably be pretty wrong if the family Christmas pictures didn't feature a mustache. So I thought I'd get it back in time for Christmas so that the family pictures can remember this year of the mustache for Elijah. <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> the route of that uh, Andy Reid commercial where he draws mustaches on people. Babbers, we're going to pause for a second and try and fix the echo, I think, that's going on. Hold on a minute. Add the two, carry the one, and let's hope that works. Don't do that. I'm not a math major. No, I, neither, <laughs> neither. I think Babbers is the only mathematician here. But, Mike, uh, I want to get a, a take from you here on – uh, Nebraska and Coach Rule, just how active and, and effective they've been so far this cycle. Well, I, you know, he said at the uh, introductory news conference uh, basically what he was going to do, and I think he's he's done that. He's been very aggressive uh, from the start, and we're not even sure what the complete staff is yet. I mean, I um, I've been impressed with with what he's done and his, you know, I don't know, in, 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 in this age of social media, you know, he, he appears on Twitter every once in a while. He makes, he posts things. I think, I think he understands the time and place and how you go about uh, relating to the people that he's trying to recruit. Mike, he does do a good job of relationships and, targeting and Nebraska's trying to make some inroads back east specifically to to, to Pennsylvania and I know there's not always a, a ton of Pennsylvania gets out there Zaire Anderson was a really good linebacker that played for Elijah's Donkeys and uh, was a Juco kid but really him and Jarrell Pippins are the two that come to my mind from Pennsylvania I know that's where Barry Alvarez hailed from as well but overall, I mean, Nebraska's had most of their success. Do you think Nebraska can 
can do well along that that Ohio Valley, Western Pennsylvania region is crowded as it is with Pitt playing better ball, Penn State being, you know, a top 10 team pretty much. Then you have Ohio State and Wisconsin and especially Wisconsin now with Fickle, Notre Dame. I mean, go through the it's a crowded, crowded neighborhood. Yeah, but Rule has connections there. And, you know, I think that's important. Obviously, his his background uh, gives him that ability, maybe that uh, that helps a little bit. But again, you got to be aggressive and you can't just say, well, you know, this is uh, we just back away from this because these schools have a foothold there. I think you have to be aggressive from from that standpoint. And if you have some connections there, take advantage of them. I think it's the same way with with Texas, the, the connections that he established there, I think you have to take advantage of those, even though it's it would seem, as you look at it, difficult um, because of the schools that are entrenched there. So that's what I like about it is that he's not he's not backing away because it's an area where that you know X Y Z schools are you know entrenched in that area. Um, he's being aggressive and going after it. Mike, what do you make of, of his active role in recruiting Matt Rules, that, that is? And I say that because it's not a noticeable divergence from Scott Frost and his staff, but it felt like with, with Scott Frost and his staff that Scott was more of the closer on a recruit, where he, the position coaches would go get the foot in the door, they'd get the interest, and Scott Frost was the guy that came in and closed the deal. And that's not the type of feel you get with Rule, where it feels like he lets his, his assistant coaches go out and recruit on their own, and he goes out and recruits on his own as well. And there is some collaboration between the two, but it, it's less so a – a first step and a second step and more everyone all hands on deck all the time. Well, what do you make of that recruiting approach? Well, I think that's what you need to do given the circumstances, you know, it's a new, it's a new coach, a new staff. You got to spread out and do what you do. And I think he's taken the lead in that kind of thing. And, you know, the head coach is going to be the closer, I think in any situation. Um, but he can also be the lead guy that goes out there and is aggressive and takes advantage again of his connections in areas that he's comfortable with. And, uh, you know, I think that's what he's doing. But uh, ultimately, the head coach, I think, has to be the closer. Uh, that's who you're going to be playing for. Mike Babcock's with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Mike, we heard Trev Alberts last night talk about how Rule has to adapt to a change in college football because it's a lot different than when he was in college football his last stint. And Trev said that he did a lot of educating himself when it comes to NIL and the transfer portal. I mean, how much do you think education-wise that takes and how much time and effort does that take for a new coach who hasn't been in the college game for a couple of years? I think it's a process for everybody, even coaches that have been in the college game during that time. I think it's constantly changing, and I think you have to be able to adapt. And the first thing is you acknowledge it. And then you adapt to it, and and it and it's a process. So um, he wasn't there from the start. He's a little bit behind from that standpoint, but he's learning as he goes. And and again, I think that other coaches are in the same situation, even if they've been at the college level, because it's changing so fast. It's so different in the last couple of, couple of years um, how this affects recruiting, and I don't think we still know all of the implications of it. Mike, uh, with the recruiting part of things, you've got Nebraska and other staffs with a change offering and re-offering and trying to get kids 
Uh, Malachi Coleman is, uh, you know, the top-rated kid in state that that's still considering Nebraska, and he is uh, a special talent. What do you make? Uh, we we've got your take on Dion, the the brand and the wow factor, but now you got Dion the recruiter to contend with for real. I mean, it, it's real now because signing day is here two weeks away. Yeah, and, and I'm sure that uh, you know his background and his resume, whatever, uh, is attractive to young players. I think Malachi Coleman, um, you know, sees an opportunity once and you know see what's there. Um, I hope he still makes his decisions and come to Nebraska. There's no guarantee that he's going to go to Colorado, but um, that's the difficult thing. And again, you can't put your recruiting focus on one player and say that if I don't get that student athlete, uh, it hasn't been a success, but I'd like to see Nebraska get to the point. And, and I don't know because of what Connor asked, I don't know if it's going to be the case now, uh, but I'd like to see the best guys in the state stay home. And, you know, can you develop a program that's going to do that? Um, and, and I, in this day and age, maybe that's unreasonable. You know, there's, there's so much exposure and so much opportunity. Um, you know, it's going to be, it's harder and harder and harder to keep in-state kids in-state, I think. But part of it is uh, you got to be successful and Nebraska hasn't been that. Mike, how much would you focus time and energy on the rebound? And I ask that, and, it, and, and Tim Miles, it's basketball, but Tim Miles did really well with guys, or Craig Smith did really well with guys that uh, were coming off a program probably little used, but had the right profile, and man, they played well. So would you have somebody focusing in on that or kind of keeping an ear, not tampering obviously, but keeping an ear on guys that maybe had a, a rough welcome to college football, the fairy tale turned into a nightmare man, I want to come back closer to home. Would you have someone devoted staff-wise to that? You probably will. I mean, I think that's I think that's part of it. Again, as, as recruiting evolves, that's one of the things that you need to be aware of. And, you know, you've got people assigned or focused on all kinds of specific things. That's one of those specific things I think that you have to be aware of because the availability through the transfer portal gives you that opportunity as you evaluate them. Mike Babcock's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And, Mike, I, I want to ask specifically about recruiting and leave the transfer portal to the side. I want to get your take now with a couple weeks of knowledge of who from Nebraska is entering the transfer portal and how important you think this first recruiting class is. Because Matt Rule has always emphasized development, and I, I think that this recruiting class is important that you get a couple guys that can contribute in a couple years down the road. But there's a lot of seemingly uh, a lot of talent that's going to be returning for this Husker football team based on what we know right now. So do you think the importance of this first recruiting class has been minimized slightly by the fact that it hasn't been a mass exodus into the transfer portal like we may have thought it would? Um, you know, I was trying to keep a list there. I had about a dozen players on the on the list of, that uh, had entered the transfer portal, and they, one or two had, had uh, changed their mind and withdrew their name. Um I still think it's important, uh, particularly in the offensive and defensive lines. I think you got to get some guys, bring some more guys in. I, you know, even if even if you've got some guys with experience, and you do have some guys with experience, you've got to bring some some more in 
to get one competition and practice and two, you've got to have some depth there. And I think that's, those are the areas that uh, I would think would be most important um, as you're looking at uh, recruiting and the transfer portal and, and, and uh, however you want to, however you want to state it. But um, the guys up front, both offensively and defensively, that's an area that you need to have, you need to strengthen. Um, and no disrespect to the guys coming back, but you've got to have depth and you've got to have that competition. Mike, about a minute here. We were talking about the 100th anniversary of Memorial Stadium last segment. We were talking about our favorite parts. We heard what Trev Alberts is doing with the season tickets. I'm curious, what would you do if you were in Trev's shoes to celebrate this monumentous year? Um. I, I would make the uh, the stadium more uh, fan friendly um, in all in all areas. Uh, I don't think it's a particularly fan friendly uh, stadium. You're kind of jammed in there. They've they've done some areas. Uh, they've they've improved some areas, but I think across the board, that's the one thing that I would like to see um, because it's more and more difficult with every game being televised. You know, people can stay home and watch the games. You want to get them in that stadium. How do you do that? Well, make it more friendly. Mike Babcock is with us from Hale Varsity at MD Babs on Twitter, historian, author, Hall of Famer. Mike, we'll uh, get, uh, get caught up again with you next week. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for talking some ball with us today. Now he muted himself, I think. I got kicked out of the studio. Okay. That's why. Mike, appreciate you. Thanks so much, bud. Thanks. There he is. Mike Babcock with us. Good to spend time with him. We'll talk with Mike Schuart, Wilderness Ridge Golf, Evan Bland, Hale Varsity Midweek Edition, presented by Currency. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. 25 minutes away, Evan Bland with us. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Connor Clark, we head out to Wilderness Ridge. Uh, Mike Shuhart with us. Shuey, it's it's just a, a bit too chilly to meet you on the ninth green at nine, my friend. Yeah, it's a little chilly to be outside, but man, we were here. I just got done with a lesson, so young man from Norris, getting ready for the golf season to defend their state title. So we're still we're still doing our stuff out here. Sure, you've got those indoor heated bays, brother. I mean, you can ad- no. you can you can adapt to uh, to to all sorts of uh, a weather. It's going to be like that three three five defense. It'll adapt to any offense, man. Pretty much, I like it. That's what we do. Well, Mikey, you guys have undergone a lot of modernization and upgrades at Wilderness Ridge over the past eighteen months or so, and that's been a topic we've been hitting on here today is modernization for Memorial stadium. And there's always that aspect of, well, you're going to modernize something and somebody's going to be mad because they liked it the old way. And I want to ask, what was that like at, at wilderness Ridge? And also, I guess as a follow-up, uh, what would you like to see modernized at Memorial stadium? Well, that's just kind of the way it is. I mean, you have to adapt and change with, the changing trends and what people are looking for and what interests them. So, I mean, Memorial Stadium, it's like, uh, I need a little more room. I need a little elbow room because I get a little excited when I'm out there and I need a little space to move around in. What would you say to the person that says, you know what, being packed in like sardines is what makes the environment what it is. It's what makes Memorial Stadium Memorial Stadium. You sit uh, here then. Kind of. <laughs> but, 
I still need my room and I got to jump up and swing around and all that stuff. Like just a little more room would be okay. Shuey, do you, they need to put you in the student section. It sounds like. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> We've got plenty of room. Yes, you do. Plenty of room. <laughs> just watch out for the uh, the flying fireball bottles or anything else that gets just thrown up in the air. canisters, anything that gets snuck in. Well, you know, speaking of modern... That's actually pretty fun in that section. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of modernization, how about you, you just have a fireball stand versus having to... Well, geez, Connor, you have you have big long socks on. Are you a Keith Van Horn tribute or what? I mean, You're sneaking in your fireball. Well, usually I'm I'm the one who's working, so I I don't have time to. Sneak I don't know what you're in. talking about, <laughs> officer. That's good. Well, see, I'll never forget my trip out to Iowa City, and I've mentioned this before on the show, but I'm sitting there in the student section. A guy a couple rows back from me has somehow managed to sneak in an entire case, thirty bush lights. The whole case. It's not like they're a singular beer. It's called what? knowing somebody. He has the whole case, and I'm like, why can't we get this at Memorial Stadium? Why are their security checks so significant? <laughs> Shuey, I've got the, the best story about sneaking <laughs> refreshments in. This came no. from... Well, no, it wasn't me. <laughs> oh, sure. No, right. no, it was Some not. Some guy I know. <laughs> uh, so, no, this is true. You've met my buddy Russ, <laughs> Iowa Russ. We've been out to Wilderness oh, yeah. and swung the clubs, and uh, Iowa Russ destroyed me on the golf course. But I got even with him on the deck. Uh, anywho, um, he, uh, his dad went to Iowa, and they put a, an intricate hoist system at the top of the, the south of the north end zone, and they, they hoisted a keg up in, oh the, my God. in the early 70s. And then once the keg got up there... They put a coat and a hat on it, so it looked like some guy just sitting back against <laughs> the wall. Like there's got to be a certain line where is, is it worth That's it? Impress- no, th- to pull it <laughs> off. I mean, that is impressive. big. That is big. You believe that, Shuey? I mean, I I believe it, especially early I Iowa football that. in the seventies. No question, I believe that. That's pretty ingenious. That's a lot of work to go to to get that, but worth it. I mean, think of the the police. I mean, it, it's one thing to one of us may had a friend, a guy that lived in the corner dorm that uh, was into botany and and had to put mm. sheets together and climb out the dorm to get down to the floor below. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, but this is a whole this is a whole new level of uh, hoisting the keg. It's pretty good. Pretty awesome. Chewy, okay, so we're going to keep with this crowd theme, and when it comes to, to playing in the majors, uh, the the most juice you felt was where for uh, for a tournament or an open? Mm. Mm. Probably my first one I played at Oakmont. Okay, I was a sophomore. In, I was a sophomore in high school. I mean, a sophomore in college, and I happened to qualify for the U.S. Open. Uh, I mean, it was at uh, Oakmont out in Pennsylvania. So that was first experience doing that. That was truly pretty exciting. I mean, very intimidating, massively exciting. I mean, it was I was so out of my element. Man, I stood on the first tee, and I looked down the first tee, and it was like, there were, I don't know, there were probably 30,000 people just lining the first fairway. And I'm like, I'm looking at the guy caddying for me going, man, I'm not sure I can hit this. <laughs> That's right. <You> know? <laughs> I hope those people got insurance out there because I'm like, 
think one of them in the head. So that was pretty intimidating. Mike, have you felt what I've felt over the past couple of years? That's there, there may be more juice from the fans on the golf course in, in recent years than in years prior. And I look down at you know, the waste management open in Phoenix where it's always been a little bit ruckus, but I feel like that started to, to transition over to other golf courses as well. Have you noticed that same, that same trend as me, or am I completely off base here? No, it's, it actually has been around a lot more than you realize. Um, the Greater Greensboro Tournament out in North Carolina, I mean, they had the, the 15th hole, I think it was, which is a par three, and they put a big grandstand right behind it, and it was a huge towering grandstand, people up in the top, they were throwing beers down and spilling beers, and you were right on top of the players. So that they had to get rid of that. It got too crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's been around for a, a long time. It's just becoming more, I think, uh, visual, you know, especially with the waste management being that. And it's starting to be the trend in golf. I mean, I call it the X Games. You know, you have a y- younger player coming in. They are looking and used to. Uh, being like X game guys, you know, mm-hmm. like 16 and this perfect example, those guys no longer are really intimidated. They look forward to getting in there because they know what's coming. It gets them all amped up. They hit a great shot in there. Things go crazy like it does. So, I mean, they're all into that, you know, your old kind of traditional golfers. Uh, they're kind of going away a little bit. You know, golf is always a blue blood sport, very proper, you know, now it's starting to get a younger generation is getting in there. And they're adapting to the younger generation and what they want. I mean, excitement. You know, kind of what, that's kind of like the live tour. That's how they're kind of making their mark. Mm-hmm. You know, they're creating lots of things that are very unique, that are uh, just different. You know, you have team matches. You got guys. You got drawing teams. You're doing this. You know, so it, it, it's what the it's what the younger generation does playing golf. You know, John Daly kind of started a little of that. You know, he was a little different cat out there, like to smoke his cigarettes and drink his beers and eat his M&Ms and, you know, hit it as hard as he could, you know, and that's <laughs> kind of the generation that's coming up. It's good influence. Uh, well, Mike, well, I'm saying the, the hit, have fun, hit it hard, okay. that, that type of thing. Show you about, right. about 10 seconds. Can folks come see you about uh, membership or lessons? Oh, yeah. So, like I said, on our website, wildernessridgegolf.com, all the information you need uh, for memberships, who to contact, uh, lessons, all that stuff is there. Shuey, we'll, we'll, come, take everybody. we'll come look at the lights. We'll see you in a bit, all right? Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me. Stay safe. There he is, Mike Shuhart. Love him. Uh, Evan Bland on the way. Hail Varsity continues. Chime in, 402-466-ESPN, or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tail Varsity. We're presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark. And reminder to get buckled up, one of every three fatal crashes in Nebraska involves an alcohol-impaired driver. Why take chances? If you drink, don't drive. A message from the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Will you tune in to Denver football this weekend? I ask because Randy Gregory, Parker Gabriel, friend of the show, out there working for the Donks, uh, had a chance to be a part of that reporter pool that met with Randy Gregory today. So he's he hasn't played since week four, but man, he uh, 
he was making an impact early and then got dinged up. Well, the whole reason the Broncos traded Bradley Chubb away is because they thought that Randy Gregory would be coming back from injury sooner than he actually did. They thought, uh, not necessarily like for like, but they thought it, it gave Denver a, a pass rush still even without Bradley Chubb around, and the whole vision was, well, if you're a contender, you got two premium pass rushers on this team, and that's going to make any offensive line scared, but... Broncos weren't contenders, going to get some draft pick value back to replace what you lost with Russell Wilson. And, you know, we're happy with what we have with Randy Gregory. And to get back to the heart of your question, I'm excited for Randy. I will most likely unwillingly watch the Broncos game. I'll, I'll say I don't want to watch it. And then, you know, kickoff will happen. And I'll go, well, what else am I really going to watch? Maybe and it's... then I'll, I'll watch the game in the fourth quarter roll around. And I'll ask myself the same question I've been asking myself for 10 weeks now, <laughs> which is, why am I still watching this football game? And inevitably, they'll break my heart. And I'll say, well, there's my Sunday ruined yet again. Has Russ woke up yet? Has he woke up yet? Well, there was a, a big talk among Broncos fans today that uh, he has made it to every single uh, hospital visit he has scheduled, and every single Tuesday he goes and visits with the Children's Hospital in Denver. That, that's really, uh, and, uh, Russ jokes aside, Yes, that's really cool he does that. Oh, jokes aside, I think Russ is a, a very good human being and an awesome individual and uh, used to be a great quarterback, maybe still could return to his great quarterbacking, but this was the first week all season that he did not make it to his scheduled uh, Tuesday afternoon children's hospital visit so it makes you think probably still in concussion protocol probably still sitting in a dark room somewhere trying to limit stimuli so he can be back for sunday and who knows if he's even able to to watch a new film or whatnot so not great for us i have a feeling he's not going to be playing on sunday and our i say our the broncos hopes will be uh reliant upon brett rippon and i i distance myself from this team because of how bad they are i no longer want to say we with them i don't want to associate myself with that dumpster (laughs) fire you've jumped ship you still say we with the Bears, don't you? Yeah, and at least the Broncos well, have been a Super the Bears Bowl have in the last hope. decade. At least the Bears have hope. I mean. What do the Broncos have in the draft this year? Oh, nothing. The Seahawks have it all. Where's the you, hope? You guys have a pick that's ahead of the Bears right now. Well, yeah, we got it via trade. We don't have a second-round pick. Let me ask you this, think. both. Who's more? Which one do you use more? And I don't really have an NFL team. I'm just kind of a degenerate, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, which one of you is more confident in your quarterback? Heading into the final, you know, stretch of the season, me, you, probably. Yeah. Justin has looked great running fantastic. the football. He's better throwing it. It's manageable menu to throw. Oh he's, yeah, he's at least shown improvement as the year has gone along. Early in the season, I was worried alive. about him. I, I thought stay, like he's got to stay upright. I thought like Justin Fields maybe is we're we're nearing the end of the Justin Fields experiment experiment at the beginning of the year, and then as the year has gone on, he's, he's, he's shown me more. He's settled he, in. This, Russell Wilson has not shown improvement as the year has gone right. on, aside from three quarters against Kansas City where he looked maybe like looked shades great. of his old self. Looked good against Kansas City. I don't know who I'm going to jump on bandwagon-wise. I'll just say this. The Bears have probably the most electrifying offense they've had in my entire lifetime. Sure. So. No, I get it. That was a sign if you're watching on YouTube to, to get out in 10. He's not... <laughs> Throwing up a it's good. Evan Bland on the way. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. 
Go Currency, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark, Evan Blant back with us here on Hale Varsity with the Omaha World. Harold, Evan uh, never stops, be it uh, offers or visits or portal movement. How's your phone? How's your beeper? How's your pager? Because I'm sure you have uh, all three working. I'm sure you don't have two of the three, but you get what I'm saying, man. You're always locked in. <laughs> man, if I had a beeper, um, <laughs> what a world this would be. Yeah, that, that's, that's changed quite a way. If the transfer portal existed in like 1993, mm-hmm. uh, what would that be like? But no, it's uh, it's been... It has. It's been crazy. It, it, you know, you talk about uh, Matt Rule and his introductory press conference. That feels like it was like two months ago with all the action that's happened since then. But um, I mean, by my count, they've made more than well more than 50 offers to players in 2023 and future classes, transfer portal. Uh, the staff's still coming together. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. You have another official visit weekend here coming up and uh, it's it's a really it's a fascinating time for a program with a new staff because you have to balance a sort of college football's version of the draft by bringing in high school prospects and their version of free agency when you have the transfer portal and I just think it's it's going to be fascinating to see what kind of a balance Nebraska strikes because it wants to be a developmental program that it wants to have that as its emphasis and its identity under Matt Rule. And so if that's the case, how heavily do you lean in on portal transfers who might be here for a year or two? Um, Certainly they are offering some of those players, but they're not going maybe as heavily into that at this point as, say, Nebraska did a year ago when it had to win now. So a lot's going on. It's going to be a while until the dust settles, but it's been kind of fun to see some of these early trends emerge. I don't think you can talk about additions without first talking about departures, because I think there still needs to be a few more departures from this Husker football program to to free up roster spots. And as we get into to, uh, finals week here for UNL, I expect a few more of those to be forthcoming here in the next couple of days as guys realize, you know, it's the end of the semester, I can start looking ahead to, to my future. But how many more guys do you think there need to be in the portal to, to free up roster spots for what Matt Rule wants to do? Well, yeah, I mean, that's they're up to 11 scholarship departures, I think 15 overall now when you account for walk-ons. I mean, I, I certainly think they'll be north of 20 by the time you get to next semester. And, you know, I think that's the thing that's worth remembering is, like, the, the portal timeline is different than what people are used to with traditional high school recruiting because if you're a high school kid, most schools, not all, but but most want you to sign – in what is now this early signing period, December 21st this year. And then you have some that finish out in February, but for the transfers, I mean, the portal only opened like nine days ago. And so this thing extends into mid January, really the only deadline that they have, whether deciding to enter the portal or to end end up somewhere else is when do classes start next spring for your future home? Like that's, that's really all that they're, uh, having to worry about at this point, and, and if they don't want to make the the move by the spring, then then heck, they could wait and and enter the portal in May and transfer over the summer. And you see that too. So uh, it's a very it's a very extremely fluid situation. Um, yeah, again, I think you'll see players leave in January as as maybe more coaching changes occur and the rest of the staff at Nebraska fills out. And so there's just there's so many things still up in the air. I, you know, I think it's worth noting that you think about Nebraska's. Um, biggest two ads last year were were Casey Thompson and Trey Palmer at this time a year ago they weren't even in the portal yet so 
I mean, it's certainly with the additions and the departures, it's a it's a moving target. Um, I mean, and even when you go in, you don't know if you're going to come back out at the same school the way Jamari Butler just did, the edge rusher for the Huskers. So, um, yeah, a lot lots going on. But I, I would expect when it's all said and done, when you talk about just the nature of the portal in today's college and a new coaching staff, that you'd see that would be well above 20. Evan Bland is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Evan, you talk about player deadlines who are in the portal and when they want to be at a school of their choice. But what about a coach deadline? When do you think Matt Rule wants to have his roster set, maybe not in stone, but pretty much sure of what he's going to have in 2023? I mean, the sooner the better, right? Like, you look at what the openings are. You're going to need a receiver's coach. You need a linebacker's coach still. And then you can kind of go a couple different directions with that last spot. Uh, you know, the, the, there have been the reports that Jake Peets might have come back from the NFL to coach quarterbacks, and that didn't work out. So you could hire a quarterbacks coach as that third guy, or you could assign that to Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator, who's done that before, and bring in a, a tight ends coach specifically. So you have a little bit of flexibility there. Um, you know, when you get to this point and you don't see – a staff filled out, you know, there are a number of reasons why that could be one of them being that they're still looking for who that person could be. I think another more likely reason, uh, at least for some of those spots for Nebraska is that uh, other seasons are still going on, particularly at the NFL. So you talk about all these staffers that have come in with Matt rule connections. Most of them have come from, uh, and he still has a number of, of people on that staff who he was, uh, who he hired there, who he's worked with, Previously, um, you know, I think you could probably name two or three guys who would be possible candidates to come down um, and fill those spots, too. So we'll see how it goes. Sometimes you're in the NFL, you want to stay in the NFL. I think a lot of that will depend on, uh, you know, when you talk about Carolina's situation specifically, what they do. Coach Steve Wilkes, if he's retained, and he sounds like he's maybe gained a little bit of momentum to do that with what the Panthers have done lately, maybe that changes some things, too. But this thing will be fluid. Um, you know, if you if you were to rush to make a hire, the motivation would be to do that by early signing period. I think we're we're far enough along now that you don't need to force it for that reason. So I would imagine that you know you, you finish out the, this portion of the recruiting cycle. You get into you get through the holidays into January when the NFL regular season ends, uh, and at that point, I think you'll probably start to see a little bit more clarity and resolution. Evan Bland is with us here, and Evan. Do you think Matt Rule will appease Husker Nation and bring in a dedicated fullbacks coach? <laughs> Do you think that would appease Husker Nation? I wonder. I, I don't know if that'd be the, the smartest use of resources. Uh, maybe you fold that in with a running backs coach or something. Maybe maybe EJ Barthel can uh, can add that to his list of duties. But I don't. I mean, that's a great question. If you look across college football, does any Division One college football program have a dedicated fullbacks coach? I, I would love to know the answer to that. I've got a name, and he's in Northern California. He wore number 44, and he just retired after 30-plus years with the NFL, and he can still line up and, and, and do work on a linebacker or bust one for a, a touchdown run. Old Tom, Rath- Tom Rathman, you know? Yeah. Get, get, get old Tom Rathman back in here, part of that Nebraska backfield with the Niners. Evan, when we talk about position groups, Nebraska needs to be heavy where, be it portal or, uh, of course, uh, when it comes to, the, to to high school signees? Well, I don't know that you can look 
at Nebraska's roster anywhere and say you feel good about about this spot or that spot. I think you're you're going to need to have as much talent as you can at every spot. Now, what's interesting to me about the portal is history has shown, even in just the last cycle or two, that there are some spots that you can turn it around quickly, and there are other spots where it's a lot more difficult to do that. And so you think about um, the receiver spot right now, right? Like that's a spot Nebraska clearly needs help on. I mean, you look at who who potentially could be back. It, it might just be Washington and Alante Brown as like your, your regular contributors who are back. Everybody else um, has either entered the portal or, or run out of eligibility or what have you. Um, but, but you look at Nebraska's history there. They've added Smory Toure two years ago. He's in the NFL. Trey Palmer comes in last year, sets school records. He's going to be in the NFL. Uh, just the sheer number of, of skilled players at that position would tell you that you can add some impact players at that spot. So I think that's you've seen that that's a, a position that Nebraska continues to offer. I think safety is another one or, or defensive back in general. Um, yeah, there was a, a player who entered the portal yesterday uh, by the name of Deuce Chestnut, who's out of Syracuse. He was an all ACC player under Tony White, who's now at Nebraska as the DC. So like guys like that see potentially making that shift over the harder spots would be along the lines. Um, for one, there just aren't as many quality offensive or defensive linemen that enter the portal. And for two, if they do, they're extremely hard to get. I mean, Nebraska, you look at a Johnny Cornelius, who, who was out of Rhode Island, who Nebraska actually got to visit last weekend. He has he had an, an offer from Ohio State today. He has Georgia. He has all these top schools that it's, it's really difficult to get a quality offensive lineman out of the portal. So that would tell you that, in general, you're going to have to rely on your high school recruiting to develop those lines. And I think Nebraska's done that. I mean, you look at how their 23 class is coming together, uh, it seems likely that they're going to bring in five offensive linemen, which is a pretty big number for a class, especially in the in the portal era. So I think they're working it through that way. Um, but again, generally speaking, I think if you're trying to build through the portal, the skill position players and, and quarterback potentially are ways that you could do that quickly. And if you're talking about the lines of scrimmage, your your best bet is to, to – identify those players, develop them, and then keep them in your program moving forward. That makes a ton of sense uh, when it comes to that, uh, that foundation. It's, it's a, uh, as we've called it here a long time, almost all fall and beyond, it's not microwave, right? You, uh, <laughs> you pour that concrete, let it dry, and, and then you, you put up a sweet uh, two-story. <laughs> but uh, first things first, got to get those lines of scrimmage. Uh, on, on the defensive side of the line, a, uh, a gut feel – or maybe you just have a crystal ball with Garrett Nelson, Ty Robinson, Colton Feast. I mean, I, I think it's important for Nebraska to, even in year one of the rural era, to have uh, some some experience, and, and you need experience. And who knows what White's defense will actually look like. It'll adapt and adjust to who they're facing. But, man, having guys that have played a lot of football back, those three I just mentioned, would be big. Uh do you think those guys are open to to stick it around? Do you think they might be wondering? I do. I, I do think they're open to sticking around. I mean, Nelson and Feast in particular are Nebraska kids, grew up loving the program. Uh, they, they strike me as the kind of guys who would commit to being a Husker as opposed to playing for whichever coach might be there. Um, you know, Nelson in particular is interesting because a standard – 
college football career, he's already had it. He's been, you know, a, a full contributor for four seasons, and, and he's only faced with a decision because of that pandemic season. And so, does he feel like now's the time to turn pro? Uh, do you do you run it back one more time? I don't think that he would transfer. I think it would be either turn pro or or, or come back once more as a Husker. Um, and then you've got uh, you know Ty Robinson too, who. I think wore it all. He left it all out there on the field this season. And in the times that I spoke with him, I mean, he felt very emotionally invested with what they were doing. Um, you know, he's somebody who, who I, who could enter the portal. And I think if he did, he would get a lot of interest from other schools, but I don't know that he's ready to, to necessarily move on either. And then the other piece of that is we don't, as we already said, we don't know who the linebackers coach is going to be. So I think that would be of something of particular interest to, someone like Nelson to know who your position coach is going to be. Uh, You would think all those guys would be in communication with Tony white about how they could fit into a three, three, five and what that might look like. I think Ty Robinson especially would be a guy that you could throw in there as a nose. And in, in one of those sort of situations, he's probably their best candidate to be uh, that sort of player for Nebraska next season. So a lot of decisions to be made there. Um, but I, if I were to, you know, uh, put money on it or, or be a betting guy, I'm not. But if I were, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would say the chances are pretty good that we could see two or even all three of those guys back next year. Evan, do you have a read on, on Ernest Hausman? Is he gone? It sure seems that way. Um, I mean, it was a surprise when he entered. We saw that he visited Iowa last weekend. Um, you know, it, it's tough to say sometimes what guys' motivations are because, you think about when you enter the portal, usually if it's not because of a coaching change, the primary motivator would be playing time. And as we saw uh, late in the season, Ernest Houseman showed he was earning some playing time. He was making plays and closing on quarterbacks and explosive and all that. And uh, it was probably a little bit more surprising because uh, he went to Columbus and has been an in-state guy and followed Nebraska. But, uh, you know, again, sometimes you just don't know. Guys want to – experienced something different. Uh, maybe they were especially close with their position coaches. You know, Barrett Rude did a good job working with Ernest and, and being with him through that recruiting process. So you never say never, but it, it does not to me appear at this time that he would be uh, likely to come back to Nebraska. More with Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald coming up here on Hale Varsity Radio. Just a quick answer to Sal's question. In the stream, can always watch Hale Varsity with the Hale Varsity YouTube channel and on Twitter with ESPN Lincoln and the uh, Hale Varsity Radio at H Varsity Radio uh, Twitter handle and the ESPN Lincoln Facebook. Quarterbacks that are portaling right now DJ Ugalili from Clemson will buy a vowel next time. Brennan Armstrong uh, visiting Wisconsin. Keaton Slovis, he's been to 47 schools already. <laughs> But uh, he is going to visit Oregon State. Hudson Carr, T.C. and Notre Dame have been on on his list. Sims, of course, uh, visited Nebraska, uh, the uh, Georgia Tech quarterback. Just some names there. As uh, you also think of Devin Leary, Notre Dame, Auburn, UCLA, and South Carolina, Oregon, Kentucky. They've uh, officially reached out. Uh, Austin Reed. Uh, Western Kentucky. I still think Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State. I said it, yes, I think, like two he, weeks ago. I think that name is really, Wisconsin, really Wisconsin, Florida, Notre Dame for, for Spencer Sanders. Graham Mertz, no thank you. Moving on. <laughs> Drew Payne, the quarterback from Notre Dame. Uh, Kion Drones. 
former Baylor quarterback. Hail Varsity continues with Evan Bland. And now. And now, back to Hail Varsity Radio. Evan Bland back with us here on Hail Varsity with the Omaha World Herald. Evan, the Almighty has thrown boatloads of snow. So travel I-80 West to dare say Boulder is hard. That said, Malachi Coleman wants to go hang out with Coach Prime. Flipped his visit from Michigan to to Dion. You got a team in the college football playoff. And, and, and but he, are you arguing that God wants to keep him in Nebraska? No, I'm, I'm just saying that God, <laughs> the Almighty said that we're going to make it snow out of the panhandle a lot, <laughs> a lot. No, I, I don't. I'm not bringing the good Lord into into to recruiting. <laughs> okay? I will not do that. Uh, this close to Christmas or ever, quite frankly. But I wanted to just get your your take on Malachi and threat level. Uh, threat level is just this. Is this going to be just incident one or instance? A better term, instance one of of Coach Prime uh, and uh, and Nebraska. Well, I think it's going to depend on how the visit goes to assess some of that. I mean, Malachi Coleman. Yes, he's been committed to Nebraska, and now he's not. Uh, but he's not new to making the rounds. I mean, he's seen some of the top college football programs in the country. He's been wooed by many of them. And, you know, put yourself in his shoes. If you were a high school senior and, and getting ready to make a decision and, and, you know, the guy that you had attached yourself to and Mickey Joseph was no longer at that program. And then all of a sudden, Hey, Deion Sanders comes and says, you want to come, come by for a visit? I mean, I'm probably going to take that visit, even if I don't intend to go there. I mean, that's, you're going to have a story to tell for the rest of your life about, about what that experience is like. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe it is a situation where he goes there and, uh, you know, buys into to Coach Prime's message about what Colorado could be. Or, or maybe it's uh, just another kind of cool recruiting footnote in his journey and he ends up at Nebraska and, um, you know, is part of the rebuild under Matt Rule. So it's tough to say which way it could go. I, I think you can't undersell uh, what Coach Prime's been able to do. I mean, you think about the recruiting jobs that he was done just in getting, uh, you know, high end talent to go down to Jackson state. That's, that's not an easy, uh, an easy proposition. So now he's got a little bit bigger of a brand to recruit to. Um, ultimately, I, I don't know that it'll be enough to sway Malachi Coleman this late in the process. I think he's a relationships guy and that's going to be hard to make up that ground. Um, but man, it's going to be fun. I think to hear his story about how that thing goes. Evan Bland is with us here from the Omaha World Herald. It's Hale Varsity Radio. And Evan, Ohio State picked up a commitment today from a, a talented quarterback from South Dakota, Lincoln Kineholtz. And there's a lot of discussion about, well, why didn't Nebraska give this kid an offer? But I, I want to go to the fact that apparently Dylan Royella was told by Ohio State that they were not going to be picking up a quarterback in the class of 2023. And now they've done it. And is that something to watch as a Husker fan? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I I don't know if Ohio State promised that to Dylan Raiola or not. Um, you know, typically, if you're, uh, you know, one of the blue bloods in college football, you're you're going to unapologetically stack talent and and do that and, and find a way to win, and that's just what your your operating procedure is going to be. So, if they felt that strongly about Dylan Raiola to make that promise, and now they're changing that. Um, you know, maybe that could could sort of shift a change in the winds a little bit, and uh, you could think maybe that Nebraska uh, could could 
sneak its toe back in the door now with a different staff, but yet still Dylan's uncle Donovan on the, on the offensive line as the coach there. So uh, I guess you can't rule it out. Again, Dylan's plenty familiar with this place. He's been on multiple visits here. Uh, he's still a 2024 kid. Typically those players, especially at the quarterback position commit in the spring before they sign, you know, eight, nine months out. So I think his timeline is starting to get here. You're probably a couple months, two, three, four months away from him uh, really firming it up, whether that's staying at Ohio State or if he's going to go somewhere else making that decision. So we are in sort of a, a critical time from that perspective. But, uh, yeah, I mean, keep an eye on it. I, I still think the, the odds that he flips to Nebraska are pretty small. But to, to say that they're not zero at this point is, I think, interesting enough. Evan Bland with us, Omaha World Herald. And uh, be sure to follow him along at OWH, uh, Evan Bland, on Twitter. And, uh, Evan, listen, we uh, we went a little long with you today, but, man, great info, great insight as always, and thanks for giving us uh, some time today. Appreciate you guys. Good to spend time with Evan Bland here on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by Currency, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark, and uh, good insight from him. Guys, Trev laid out a lot of things last night with his radio show. And uh, are you ponying up? You're both students. One of you is a student. One's uh, a former student. But the the season tickets, the price drop, uh, more affordable, 100 bucks off pretty much, and 25% off is what it rounds up to. Uh, what's the, the temperature like for you guys around Nebraska fans? I... Listen, we we've done at least my mother has the past few years. They'll they'll do the pick three. She'll do the pick three and try and take the grandkids, and that's really an awesome experience. It's affordable. There's been some really memorable but heartbreaking home games, and that needs to flip to memorable, great moment wins for Nebraska, and that's the charge for Coach Rule. But this first season could be difficult. You could see them improve, but the win total, and maybe we're, we're off, we're way off. It's December of 2022. But typically with the, uh, the outgoing and the incoming, it's going to take some time to, to get it right, and then you, you build from this, this year one. So I don't, I don't have a problem with the, the price drop. Is that price drop enough to get a, an interesting buying market? Everyone wants to go see a Nebraska game. That's wonderful. I look at next year's home schedule. You, you end with mm-hmm. Iowa. That's good. I think Michigan comes to town. But that's about it. Uh, well, I mean, they're all cool. Don't get me wrong. But as far as big name marquee, uh, those are it. It's a lighter home schedule than in past years. Well, And that's what I keep coming back to of, well, is this a, and to honor the 100-year history of Memorial Stadium? Or is this, you know what? We've been pretty worried about this uh, this whole sellout streak over the past couple of years, and I'm not sure what what games are going to be selling season tickets next year. So let's lower the price because I, I remember growing up, what my family used to do is we'd pick one game a year uh, of the the seven you'd get, and you'd, we'd sell one game. One game would be sold, and if it was a good enough game, uh, we sold the the Texas game one year back in the day. What? And, uh, the thing was was you could bump up the price of those tickets, and you could pretty much pay off your season tickets with one game. So and, and, I, I, and the the game of the year. <laughs> I did not willingly go along with this. I should add. I should add. I was kicking and screaming the whole time, saying, <laughs> "Who cares? This is the best game of the year. Why would we go to all the crappy games and only go to the good game?" I will say though, we were not alone in Memorial Stadium in doing that tradition. And you look at this year and you go, 
which games are sellable this year. Uh, let's run through the home schedule. Northern Illinois, not that sellable. Michigan is probably the best Louisiana one. Tech, not that sellable. Michigan is probably going to be a blowout. Could it be a, a good I game mean, to sell? Sure. Could Nebraska also be walking into that game at 3-3 three and three against Michigan, who's undefeated at 6-0, and oh, and everyone goes, well, this is going to be a blowout. This, this, is, this is your flip-the-script moment. Potentially. And then you have Wisconsin at home, too. But it's a new head coach. Forgot about the Badgers. It's it's fickle at home, first uh, first year head coach at Wisconsin that is, and you don't know how good Wisconsin's going to be, so who knows? And then Maryland and Iowa. Maryland's it, it, subtly. It's nice that they're coming here because they're kind of hitting their stride offensively. I will just say, whenever you look at that home schedule as a whole, I take back what I said about rolling my eyes, or or doing the eye roll about this year's upcoming schedule. I take that back. The schedule's not as bad. It's not. As bad as it could be, but I can understand why some fans who may have checked out over the past couple of years look at this home schedule and go, well, it's year one and there's no big dogs on the, the home schedule, so who really cares? It's just a lot of teams that are going to come beat Nebraska. I'm not going to buy the season ticket. So I, I don't think this move really, I think it's a great PR move to go say, hey, it's for the 100-year history Memorial Stadium. I don't believe that one bit. This is a guy looking at the home schedule and seeing what's happened the past couple of years and seeing how close they've been to losing the sellout streak and going, you know what, let's lower it for one year to make sure we get butts in the seats this year and then Matt Rule will get it rolling and we won't have to worry about it moving forward. I don't know if they have to necessarily worry about it this year as much as I think people are expecting because it's year one new coach exactly right and but you've I, been through this drill before maybe well, you're a bit so jaded they, from that's that. my next point <laughs> maybe you guys fans saying I'm gonna sit here and uh, we'll see how the spring game goes <laughs> you guys have gone through this drill a lot more than I have right because you know you've been around Nebraska football all, a lot longer all, than I have all right of it so I'm excited I don't know if you guys are excited as I am but. To go back to the home schedule, I think that we were spoiled um, the three and nine year with all those one score losses because you hosted Michigan and Ohio State in that same homestand and Iowa too. So you got the Iowa game as well. So I think that was we were kind of spoiled a little bit with that. This one isn't bad, as you mentioned. Um, you still get Michigan, you still get Iowa. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the fickle turnout is, but I don't think that that'll be huge. You have to be as concerned as maybe I think you have to be just because of the whole rule thing and, and everything. But, again, you, uh, this is like kind of like a fire drill at this point for a lot of Husker fans. It's the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. You're hearing the, uh, hearing the sound. Yeah. Now, well, well, what's going to be fun is, is, is Minnesota-Boulder, though. I mean, there's going to be a sea of red in Minneapolis. There's going to be a uh, – Boulder is – Boulder's going to be nuts. Boulder's going to be What fun. happens to the home schedule if Nebraska's, God forbid, 0-2 following those two games? What happens to, to that home slate? This is, I'm sure, all things that are going People through. People are going to show mind. up and show out to see Rule get his first. Sure. Sure. I guess. But but imagine. Just just imagine. Two and they're 0. 2-0. They're 4-0 going to Michigan. Just imagine. Well, it's uh, they have Northwestern at home and then at Illinois to open up the uh, the Big Ten slate following that Minnesota one. So, <laughs> so you, you get your first Big Ten foe. It's Michigan after two road games against the team that almost won the West. And that's what makes it even more legit. You get two Big Ten road wins plus a Pac-12 road win on the way there. Look at you. Where's your thermos <laughs> of, of Kool-Aid? Where's the dude busting through the wall? I'm us- I feel like I'm usually the pessimist, so I, I feel like I have to spread a little bit of positivity. Well, I was just on, on the flip side of things, I think Trev – instead of lowering the ticket prices, would sell out the season tickets if they just offered beer in the stadium. You could sell them full price, and I, Boom. I, I'd i be more willing to go shell out money for season tickets if I saw, ooh, I can get beer while I'm there? Okay. Sold. Plus, it's more money on top of the tickets. Not, not enough 
beer yet to uh, to make that move. You don't think? Your team's not bad enough to, to resort to to giving away alcohol. <laughs> it, it's not? Have no. you seen the past four years? I, I'm going to have to disagree I've, with you. I've lived it. Oh, well, you, both of you are like, but look where you came from. You came from 9-4, and 10-4, and four, which looks really awesome right now and was good. I'm not going to sniff at that. But to, to flip around to what they've been, I don't know. There's, we'll see how the recruiting finishes. What's the momentum like? How do you feel after spring game, even though let's preface it? It's only the spring game. National champions. And, and then <laughs> you, you got recruiting, right? What do you got in the portal? You doing all right with the uh, first and second signing day? You get some linemen to stay and, and get better? Who knows? A jock doc's on the way. What's the latest with Von Miller? Hail Varsity continues, presented by Currency. And now. And now, back to Hail Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hail Varsity, presented by Currency. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. Dr. Brandon Cipher. Dr. Brandon, are you wearing a Santa hat? <laughs> I left it at home. I got to get that thing warmed up, though, for next week. You know, the kids were kind of kind of surprised when the Christmas gift showed up under the tree the other day. I said, oh, no, no, it's just a little, little warm-up. Santa hasn't been here yet. <laughs> yeah, that's from us. Santa will show up uh, in a little while. But uh, Santa needs Mr. Miyagi to show up to Von Miller. Uh, and that's, that's his gift this year. Uh, the injury that's ended just such a difference maker for that Buffalo Bills defense. And it's just interesting. You have Miller uh, working with a lot of the young core pass rushers. Uh, he wants to, to be a GM, but right now he's got a partial tear. And Dr. Brandon, tell us about treatment and recovery and a guy that is still great but is not a spring chicken. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting story. So, again, obviously, we, we read these things in the paper, and we kind of get the backstory, and we don't get the whole kind of medical story behind it. Um, and so, you know, as one would read through that, it sounds kind of strange. Oh, he's getting an e-scope, and all of a sudden we discover that you know, he has an ACL tear, because at least that's how the, the lead line is in the article. Uh, but essentially what happens here is it's actually a, a somewhat of a common thing that can happen is somebody's, you know, obviously playing at a high level, has had tons of trauma, they get used to playing hurt. That's just what our high-level athletes get used to doing. Um, and so what probably happened in this scenario is he probably had a partial tear that ACL somewhere along the way and was able to just kind of push through it, chalked it up as a knee sprain, and just kept playing through it. And then, you know, even in some of those that do have a partial, you know, tear in the ACL, some of those folks, when you look at them on exam, they won't demonstrate you know, really a whole lot of instability. They might have some mild instability, but they demonstrate what we do in our testing. You know, a firm endpoint is what we'll call it. There's a test that we do, kind of one of the more famous tests we do for ACL tears called a Lockman's exam. Whenever you're sitting there on TV and you're watching somebody go down in the field, you'll see the docs, the athletic trainer, do this maneuver where they'll put a hand behind the thigh, they'll put a hand behind the shin or the tibia, and you'll see him kind of try to shift that shin or the tibia forward. That's called a Lockman's test. With an ACL tear, that's pretty loose. You've got to pull that quite a ways forward, and there shouldn't really be what we call an end point where it feels like there's a stop. Um, and so, and so are athletes who have, you know, partially ACL tears, that actually can look pretty good where they actually feel like they do have an endpoint. So that's probably the scenario he was in. And so they need to just play through this and kind of deal with it. But usually what happens in those scenarios is over time is you'll start to kind of develop this, what we call clinically significant instability, where you just start to feel initially that kind of subtle, hey, this doesn't feel quite right. 
maybe this gives out occasionally, but I can still play a lot. And then eventually it just gets to the point where you just can't do what you need to do. Um, and that's probably what happened in the scenario. It makes you wonder, too, if he didn't maybe have a meniscus tear on top of that. And that's what led to the scope. And obviously they discover ACL. Uh, issue intraoperatively. Well, Dr. Brandon, this is a, a knee that Von Miller already tore his ACL in back in 2013 when he was a member of the Broncos, and I remember it vividly because it crushed my my heart as a uh, little 14-year-old that Von Miller tore his ACL. He's out for a prolonged period of time. Is that any factor in this recovery or this diagnosis, the fact that he's already torn the ACL in this knee once before? It sure is, and that, that's another kind of challenge scenario, challenging scenario is Whenever you have somebody who's had a previous ACL reconstruction or even previous, you know, meniscal surgeries, in particular like a meniscus repair, when you re-image them or re-MRI them, even with some of our high-res scanners, you know, 3T scanners on the MRI, it's sometimes hard to make out: is this a new injury in say the ACL or meniscus? Is this just some new scar tissue that's there? Is this maybe just a little bit of fluid surrounding it? Because that tissue is not normal tissue. You're putting a graft in there. It's sometimes going to be pretty hard to interpret those. Um, and so, obviously, there's the clear-cut ones where the, the whole graft transected or ruptured, and you can see those. But some of these can be really subtle. And, again, that's probably played a role in the scenario with him is he had a graft in and maybe over time just kind of stretched out some. As a, uh, as a follow-up, Dr. Brandon, this is the other leg than from what Von Miller uh, tore his Achilles with a, a couple seasons ago. So he had a, a left Achilles injury and now a right knee injury. Do you think that, that could have played a factor in terms of there becoming uh, an injury down the road in that right knee? Yeah, I think there probably is. Uh, hard to, you know, essentially you know, kind of study that unless you did a really high-level biomechanics study. Uh, but there's probably some factor there just in terms of, you know, maybe shifting forces. I think probably the more important thing here is, He's had those type of injuries. He's had you know, ligamentous or tendon injuries. So he probably has you know some type of collagen defect. It's probably one that you can't really study that, but it's enough so that it puts him at risk. And maybe having a little elasticity in his tendons that allow them to stretch beyond where they're supposed to be, and they rupture. Um, it's kind of the same scenario that we'll see with our young athletes who have ACL tears. A lot of those. Kids will have parents who had an ACL tear or some type of relative that had an ACL tear previously. So we think there's probably a genetic component to that, and that you know would maybe lend itself to the fact that he's had other kind of tendon injuries as well, um, and that probably plays a role. Dr. Brandon Seifert's with us, Nebraska Orthopedic Center, a jock doc Wednesday. Let's uh, talk turkey. You've been around a lot of pro teams. Vaughn's age, Vaughn's injury history. Vaughn's future with Buffalo. How devastating is this knee issue? Yeah, you know, it's tough. Uh, the biggest thing is, you know, even despite the age factor, anytime you have to go through a revision ACL surgery, um, it's, it's a tough recovery. It's a totally different recovery than, you know, what it is before. Um, so it's a tough recovery. Uh, it's still, you know, doable for somebody to get back. Uh, then you obviously start factoring the age factor. I think one of the things, we've talked about this before, that will play a role for him will be what's the other kind of trauma that happened in the knee. And we've talked about this before where you have an ACL tear and then you start to get these other things that just become cumulative, whether it's, you know, meniscus tear on top of it or Maybe now you're already missing some meniscus on that side, or you're starting to have more kind of wear in the cartilage. It's those kinds of things that really kind of slow down your recovery, make the recovery kind of more difficult, secondary to pain. Um, and so those would be the other things that would kind of really hinder him as he goes forward. Dr. Brandon Seifert, Nebraska Orthopedic Center, a jock doc Wednesday, Vaughn Miller with this last thought here, Dr. Brandon, when we talk about that, that partial tear is – that 
is this injury something that will affect his change of direction more or maybe his get off? What, what's impacted most? Yeah, that's a good question, uh, Chris. You know, as I think about that, it's probably, honestly, it's probably a combo of the two. Um, so, you know, you're going to have an issue where there's more stiffness in that knee. You're now going to cause some more trauma to some surrounding structures, depending on what you had to use, say, for a graft choice uh, for that ACL. Um, and so that's going to make an impact in terms of some of that explosiveness. Uh, also, just kind of having a little bit of increased stiffness in the knee related to some scar tissue from this is probably what, you know, second, third, fourth surgery for him. I'm not sure how many he's had on this knee. Now you start to take away some of that mobility piece. And so all those are going to factor in, I think, in both of those ways for him. You mentioned the fact that maybe this is hereditary. Von Miller may have some collagen uh, deficiencies within his body. And neither of my parents have torn any ligaments. I haven't torn any, any ligaments or anything in my knee. Are you saying that I may have prime genetics for, uh, for a high-level athlete somewhere down the road? You're not going to like this answer. You're probably on the opposite side. No, is the answer. <laughs> and, but, but, here, but, here's, but here's why I tell you that. Um, when we look at a lot of our high-level athletes, we have these conversations with a lot of our kids in the clinic. A lot of our high-level athletes have really kind of lax tissues. It's what allows them to you know, run faster, be quicker. Um, it's what allows our pitchers in Major League Baseball, they can do crazy stuff with their shoulder range of motion because that's how they generate you know, 100-mile-an-hour fastball versus you know, somebody like myself who doesn't have that shoulder flexibility. There's no way I could throw 100. And so actually it's more those athletes that have a lot of that maybe little collagen defect, little extra elasticity that gives them that edge to be bigger, faster, you know, quicker, all that kind of stuff. Dr. Brandon, thanks for jumping on with us. We appreciate your time. You bet, guys. Good to get caught up with Dr. Brandon Seifert, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. We'll wind down a Wednesday with Hale Varsity Radio presented by Currency. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time, Hail Varsity Radio presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark. And uh, tomorrow on the show, we'll spend time with Jay Moore. We'll get Jay Bird locked and loaded. And uh, then some thoughts with uh, Coach uh, Gary Barnett will join us to talk some college football. And maybe in addition there or so with the guest list, big thanks to Mike Shuard, uh, Mr. Nebraska Football, Mike Babcock, and Evan Bland. And, of course, Dr. Uh, Seifert with uh, Nebraska Orthopedic. So we have... Just enough time to talk World Cup or just enough time for Elijah and Connor to love all over soccer. Well, what a game today. What a game today. I'm sure you, you caught time uh, uh, to, to catch that game this afternoon. I did Schmitty. not. Who played? It was France and Morocco in the World Cup Who are you cheering for? Cultured. Uh, probably Morocco. Yeah, I, I think the world's cheering for Morocco. Well, they got bounced today, so... Uh, they lost 2 nothing to France. They just didn't really have anything to match the speed of Kylian Mbappe. Uh, he is phenomenal. You just wanted to show off uh, the linguistics, didn't you? He's, it's not like it's uh, – I mean, it's, it's kind of like the same story of uh, Tua Tagovailoa. Like, okay. it's, it's, it's a hard name to pronounce, but it's, just so, with, it's so within the sports <laughs> vernacular that, like, everyone knows. I, I'd exactly. say a lot of people know how to, how to pronounce Tagovailoa. Tagovailoa? See – 
See, it's the same thing with Kylian Mbappe. It's just he's so famous. Kylian Mbappe. A lot of people, a lot of people name, say right? with Tua though. They say like Tunga Vailoa, which, which I don't know. If his mom calls him that, that's I how mean, we should say it. I believe it's Tunga Tunga, Tunga Vailoa. Tunga Vailoa. I need what? to go to speech class. Whatever, it doesn't matter anyway. Anyway, France is through to the World Cup. They're playing Argentina. I told Danny this a couple weeks ago where I said, I think Argentina is a, a smart bet to go win the World Cup. It kind of feels like that classic storybook ending to a career. He's pr- going to make a move to uh, David Beckham's inner Miami, it seems like, uh, here in the near future. Hasn't been getting much play time. It's going to be his last World Cup. Probably the greatest to ever do it. It only seems fitting that he goes out by winning the World Cup. I'm still sticking by that. I think Argentina is a very good team. France and Argentina should be a very competitive final. Uh, but if you're at home, if you're listening in Council Bluffs maybe, look into that. Argentina to win the World Cup. I think it's one of those things written in the stars. Messi, with the career he's had, is going to go out on a win what's in the World the, Cup. Uh, what's the number? What's, what's the number? I don't know. Well... You're, encourage, you're encouraging folks to either, either go across the river or... France it- has opened as a favorite to win the World Cup. The number is set at... Minus a half a goal? Uh, France is minus 125, which would put... Oh, it's like a baseball line. Uh, Argentina at plus 140, God. I think. <laughs> You can tell how much I Coincidentally, Connor's <laughs> favorite movie is Eight Men Out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's a very good World Cup game today. I very much enjoyed watching it. And if you're not at home, or if you're at home and you're not interested in the World Cup at all, turn on the World Cup final. The, the energy in that arena will be great. It's guaranteed to be a game that's going to have some fireworks. So if you're not a soccer person, this is the one game over four years that I do highly encourage you to watch. I'm not saying you're going to love soccer at the end of it, but I am saying you will at least be entertained for 90 minutes, and maybe you'll be I'll like me it. and say, man, maybe American sports need more sports where the entire first half Don't doesn't have any commercial breaks. get shivved. At a World Cup final? Do yeah. get the yeah. podcast, Spotify, yeah. iTunes, Google Play, and can watch it always. Uh, Hail Varsity YouTube channel. Talk to you tomorrow at 4. Thanks.